Doug and Marty versus the World is sponsored and paid for by Marty McClendon, Doug Bassler, and EasyTVSpots.com. Round one, go. Well, very, very, very disappointed. Um, Neil Young has decided to move off of the ACN network <laughs> because of our broadcast brother. <laughs> this is Doug Bassler. And Marty McClendon. This is Doug and Marty versus the world. And of course, that is a funny joke, brother. I mean, for those that aren't watching and seeing the national news, Neil Young, uh, old time rock and roll guy, really has this really hard to understand. He's kind of like me singing, but he's better than I am even. That's it's kind of funny. Um, but, you know, because Joe Rogan had um, the Dr. Malone, Dr. Malone, who's the founder and inventor of the mRNA virus, uh, vaccine, I should say, uh, the, the technology is coming out against this COVID vaccine, which we've talked about before. So Joe Rogan ha- is the number one podcast in the world. 11 um, million listeners. 11 dude. million listeners. It's outstanding. Twice as many as Tucker has. But he had him on and just interviewed him like we do. We have all kinds of guests on our show, you know, and uh, well, Neil Young thought that was wrong because it's misinformation. It's it's not the truth in his eyes. So he's going to pull his music off. And of course, I don't think you can you have, have a more credible guy. When you have 11 <laughs> million listeners, they go, hmm, we make money off Joe Rogan. We don't make as much money off of you. You can go away. Right. So now the other leftist leaning artists are saying, I'm pulling my music off as well. Joni Mitchell and a couple others. It's kind of funny. And Joe's like going, I'm just interviewing people. I'll do my best to interview people from both sides, but I'm presenting what's not being presented. I think he's doing a great job. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, <clears throat> nobody ever threatened to pull their music off of our station, brother. That's true. Maybe That's Amy true. Grant will get mad at us, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure she won't, brother. So, and Johnny brother, Cash is gone, so. Yeah, I love Johnny Cash. <laughs> Even when he was doing rock songs, honestly. And on that note, Dolly Parton has been nominated to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, brother. I didn't know that Dolly Parton did rock and roll. What do you think? Well, I mean, it was more pop and roll back in the day. But right. uh, my daughter, my middle daughter, uh, Courtney, just loves Dolly. She was here in Seattle area uh, like a year or so ago, and she went and saw her and just, I thought, you like Dolly Parton? You are a weird daughter. I like Dolly Parton exactly as well. She's, no, but I wouldn't expect a 30-something to right? fall in love right. with Dolly Parton. But So right. you saw, I'm sure you saw this week that, um, you know, the Biden administration, their promise when they came in the office was to be the, you know, bring people together, the unifier. Sure. Of course. Right? And, and to put an end to COVID. Well, today or this week, Strike Biden came out, the administration out. said that they're, they're going to cure cancer, brother. They're going to at least cut it in half in the next 25 years. Hallelujah. I mean, that's a great promise, right? Hey, Doug, I'm going to promise every voter out there that I'll make sure that they get more money in their pocket in the next 25 years. That's nothing. How are they, you know, uh, how do you hold him accountable for something when he's probably not going to be alive anymore in 25 years? Yeah, he's probably not going to be alive in 25 months. But, you know. Don't, I'm just saying, hey, Marty, I had a chance to go to the Roanoke Conference at Ocean Shores this weekend. I know you were going to go, and then you you had a family thing. I did have a and, family uh, thing. But yeah. I was able to interview several people. So I thought what we would do maybe is let's take a, a listen to some of these interviews, and you and I can come back and talk about it. This first one is with State Representative Jim Walsh and State Representative Jesse Young. 
And uh, if you haven't seen it, I posted this one on Facebook already. But uh, very encouraging, even though they're in the battle uh, for us. Uh, good stuff. So uh, let's uh, let's drop in and see how that interview went. I have State Representative Jim Walsh and State Representative Jesse Young, who's soon to be State Senator Jesse Young. But hey, guys, I just wanted to take a, a quick sec and get kind of an update. I know there's been uh, a lot of just uh, crazy stuff going on in the legislature. So what's uh, what's your uh, what's your take on what's going down? Well, the uh, the majority and the speaker uh, in Olympia, the Democrats, the Democrats are uh, they're in uh, d you know damage control mode. They're they're in a defensive crouch, and uh, you know they should be. Uh, the last couple of years, they pushed through a lot of bad public policy, and this session we're focused on fixing it. And we've been able to put them politically and in the media into a position where they've had to acknowledge their mistakes, and so we're fixing mistakes. That's okay. It's not as good as making good policy, which if a wiser and more uh, careful majority comes into Olympia soon, we'll be able to do. But for now, we're fixing mistakes that the speaker and the governor have made, and we're doing what we can to make things better. Okay, so this is because of uh, political pressure, public outrage, things like that? Yeah. Uh, all, the, all the messaging, you know, I, everybody asks me, is it worth it if I send the email? Is it worth it if I make the phone call to my legislator? I feel like it's not, it doesn't do anything. It does. It helps us do what we're doing now, which is fixing these mistakes that Inslee and Jenkins and Billig have made. Right. Well, interestingly, on Friday, Yesterday, we just passed off the floor of the House some of those fixes. On the Public Safety Committee, from which those, those fixes came, especially for police, what we saw was actually very interesting because we expected kind of what Jim was talking about, that there would be this pushback. And, of course, it's an election year, so you think they'd go to the middle. And what we saw in committee was that the very groups that have radicalized the majority party showed up in force even for the fixes and basically threw down the gauntlet and said, if you fix this too much we're not going to be happy. And so they didn't. And so the, the hope was that, well, they weren't going to give us the broad fix that we know would be uh, good for public safety, for families, for local communities, for just good governance. Uh, we were hoping that we might crawl, crawl back a little bit, but we didn't even go as far as we thought that they were going to take it because they got scared. They're basically being threatened and held hostage by a small percentage of their radical left, and they don't want to upset them. So they're trying to fix it because they know it's good politics to at least attempt to show up for the game. But now they're being penalized if they try to score when they play that game. It's a very interesting phenomenon, and the radical left and that contingent is getting more and more vocal. So how do you think that, po that process is going to affect the upcoming elections in 2022? Well, Jesse's exactly right. Uh, politically, the uh, majority, the governor, Inslee, the speaker, Jenkins, and the Senate majority leader in Olympia, Billig, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They know what they need to do for, for people, for families, for communities, but they're under attack or, I don't know, held hostage by the radical elements of their party, so they can't do everything they know they need to do to make things better. So they're, they're stuck. And what we need, and what you know, everybody watching this needs to do this fall, is unstick that clog. And the way you unstick it is by sending different people to Olympia. Okay. So 
they have a problem. They're losing the narrative in a way that they can't control because at the federal level, the, the pushback is getting so severe and the president, to be quite frank, is screwing up so badly that they're having the reverse course, yet you've got Governor Inslee and the Democrats wanting to kind of hold serve and ride it out to say, hey, our, 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 our programs that we implemented weren't too bad. Because if they just whole, whole scale roll them back, it's an admission that they were wrong. But the, the broader narrative is forcing their hand. And so what they're going to do and what you will see is they will do these small fixes that aren't even as moderate as we thought they could get. And then they're going to try to run a, a big media campaign and try to convince folks that, see, look, we are responsive and we have to stand up to that. And Jim is right, because to the degree that we continue to write them letters, to the degree that we continue to, to stand and, and focus on, well, you didn't go far enough. My, my wife or my spouse is still at risk of getting accosted when she goes to the store. My kids are still at risk of being accosted on the way or on, to and from school because you didn't fix it. Or in Seattle, it's my windows that are getting broken. Yeah, or, or, or how about this? Our, our police are getting killed at record numbers still and you've done nothing. Don't let them control the narrative. They're gonna try to shift it back and they're gonna try to, but the truth is people are paying attention now and I think that that's gonna backfire on them because they're gonna go and they're gonna, you didn't fix this problem. You passed the bill and two days later, another cop got killed. And to the degree that we demand public safety, don't focus on necessarily uh, calling them names for not being successful, just say it's time for a change. And we need people that will bring good governance and solutions and let's try a new majority. Absolutely, you know, needles in the park. That's the yeah. one I hear about. I mean, yeah. people see the bad news about cops getting a, assassinated and they don't like that. But what I hear from parents and grandparents is, take the kid to the park to play and yeah. there are orange cap needles everywhere. Yeah. You know, fix this. And we're not getting the fix from the current leadership. So, you know, this is a democracy. Let's change the leadership. I know there's a um, a lot of people that are very concerned about these the extension of these governor's emergency powers. I mean, what we're seeing is people are very unhappy about that. So what's, what's your guys' take on this? Oh, it's total. That issue is heading to the right direction entirely. Uh, what we've had is a number of different bills that in different ways put limits on the governor's emergency powers. A good thing, that's what we want. Uh, when we first dropped a few of these bills, almost a year ago, people were laughing at us and they said, oh, it'll never happen. Well, now we have bills in Olympia dropped by the governor's own party, partisan yeah. bills, to limit his emergency powers. So we've been able to move the frame of debate on that issue toward putting some good limits on the governor's emergency powers. So now it's not a matter of will it happen, it's just a matter of what are the details going to be. Right, and so we're at uh, the end of February, uh, second birthday on this <laughs> emergency. Well, if, the, if there's a broader example of the governor's failure as of being a leader with these emergency powers, it's the fact that his own party is now trying to call for an end of them. And, and basically being forced to do so. And it's it's not only that people are tired of him ruling by himself, it's the downstream effect of that. Because, and we just talked about in one sense, public safety, but look at the homelessness issue. And look at the fact that people are still, I, I had a, a local business owner bring me over to his restaurant recently. It's actually a place that you were at. There's a, there's a place in Port Orchard and there in the middle of the parking lot were three RVs where they're selling drugs out of. The police can't do anything about it and as you walk around the business park, there's feces, there's needles. 
And when people are just trying to get back out and open and they, and they want to go to one of the restaurants and they're seeing crime happen this way under the guise of the majority party's compassion for, not, for wanting to quote unquote deal with homelessness but by not really doing anything except emboldening it, empowering it and saying, hey, just go over there and here, we'll, get, we'll even give you free needles, we'll give you free drugs. That's what you get with one rule leadership where you don't have the benefit of iron sharpening iron. You don't have the benefit of real dialogue and people trying to really tackle these issues. That's the way our founding fathers envisioned a legislative republic where laws come from a legislative body, not from one person rule. And while that might seem a couple of years ago may have been highbrow civics, now everyone's seeing it when they go to the parking lot and they're worried about their kids stepping on a needle at a park or, or, or stepping on human feces walking into a, a local store. Those are real problems. They're not gonna go away. And until we get back to the rule of law and ideally rule of law by a, a real majority that will take care of people's problems, then these problems are only gonna get worse and I think people are gonna reward us in November. Well, checks and balances. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is, it's, Jesse's right, it's civics. It's what we used to teach. You know, three co-equal branches of government that, yeah. that keep each other on the straight and narrow. We're gonna return to that this fall, I think. Yeah, great. So uh, last question is uh, the whole thing about these ma these uh, mandates, especially the vaccine dictates and things like that. Obviously, you guys have had some experience. Where are we at with that whole thing? I mean, mechanically, how is this session working, operating? Is that a problem? It's not great. Uh, essentially, we're doing what we did last session, which is a largely Zoom uh, uh, remote uh, debate and committee hearings and voting. Well, Zoom is no longer right. owned by the Chinese, so. <laughs> well. <laughs> Supposedly. Right. Well, well, we'll see about that. We got to make sure. Uh, and I can get you a really good deal on a Hunter Biden painting if you guys are interested. <laughs> Just saying. That's awesome. We need to get back into live uh, debate and floor action. Uh, we're probably not going to get that this session, but we need to get there. And uh, that's another thing that people can fix this fall. <clears throat> Bring in a new leadership to Olympia, and you'll get a return to proper legislative action. It is an interesting thing to see how legislators vote and conduct themselves through Zoom when it's very easy to fall into the, the notion that you're by yourself. It's another thing altogether when there are, is the public is up in the balconies and when people are actually watching you do what you do. It's interesting how much the majority party, they love their Zoom because they're completely scripted. They'll have their staff write their speech and you can't, we have rules on the floor that when, when Jim and I stand up, we have to know the talking points that we're discussing. We have to have internalized them, ideally because we've been working on that legislation intimately and done our job. And then when we pontificate on the floor, we're speaking from learned knowledge. It, that's why we have a rule, you're not allowed to read a script when you're speaking on a bill. But they're completely, they've jettisoned all that. And the value, the, the, the quality of the product that you get when you have people and transparency overseeing what you're doing uh, improves dramatically. And the fact that we're not doing that is a problem. And the other thing is that when you have Zoom, you have lack of transparency. And we're about to move into the part of session, what I refer to as the second quarter, where we're going to have a lot of bills come really fast on the floor. And the fact that Jim and I don't have some of the tools that we would ordinarily have to represent you, some of the parliamentary procedures that we could do, that's an infringement upon our rights, fundamentally. They, and they're allowing some legislators to have them, 
other legislators to not have them. That's a problem. In, in my opinion, I think that invalidates some of the work that they're doing. Certainly not conducive for a quality product. And yeah, we do need to get back to voters in person. But yeah, as Jim said, we're, we can get down there. I was down at the Capitol yesterday, but I'm not allowed on the floor. Um, but I'm allowed in the building in certain spots because the speaker doesn't control the whole thing. But the real solution is to get us all back in there where iron sharpens iron and transparency reigns. And so you great. guys can do that. I mean, everyone can do that. You feel like, you know, do your, do your emails count, do your phone calls count, to talk and your family count? It all counts. But the real time is this fall. You can change how things are doing in Olympia. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. State Representative Jesse Young, State Representative Jim Walsh. God bless you guys. So uh, that was a very fascinating inter- interview. I, I love the fact that they're saying, hey, your phone calls count, your emails count. You know, I don't know about you, Marty, but I get like a million of these little, these little updates by email mm-hmm. or on Facebook, and they have a clickable link, and you can go say, I oppose, and you can hit. I mean, it literally takes you like three minutes. To, there to, are a million things like that right now. You can testify online in on Zoom. You can sign up, like you said. You can send in an email, a form email. You can actually call the, the switchboard and tell them, "Hey, tell my legislators that I don't support this. I'm from this district." Uh, and then, of course, you can show up. You can testify. But to what Jim was saying, reiterated a couple times, it really comes down to elections. I mean, we really got to tell everybody to get out and vote, who to vote for, to be informed understanding that the radical left, as Jesse called them, um, that's a majority down there. Over the last couple of elections, we've elected people that are Planned Parenthood-based, employed, fuse, environmentalists, whatever it may be, that have this whole new green deal, the AOCs of of Washington that really want to push an LGBTQ sort of agenda. But a couple of things that they said really stuck with me. The great interview, and both of them are, are known uh, fighters, conservatives across our state, and you know they they know what they're talking about. Um, the first thing was fixing mistakes. Lots and lots of mistakes. First of all, I would argue with both of them that these weren't mistakes; these were intentional. Yes, there were some some consequences to them that give a public outcry when it comes to the police bills and so forth. But they, they knew what they were doing when they passed these bills along party lines with no help from the Republicans, no support or comments. And then they come around this time and they're getting a lot of pushback. They're trying to find ways. The fact that they're open to making uh, small amendments is good. But once again, when, when Jesse said they were being held hostage, the, the mainstream Democrats, if there are any of those anymore, those in leadership are being held hostage by the radical wing. That sounds just like the national level where there's a lot of momentum on the socialist side of things, the Bernie Sanders type things, where they're throwing a fit, brother. If they go too far, if they amend these things, which goes back to my first point, they knew what they were doing. Yes, they're making inroads to try to help fix these a little bit, but they're not mistakes, if you would, if I would argue. Next thing, though, is I loved all, all of Jesse's sports analogies, right, about setting serve, playing the game, and so forth. It was interesting. And then the emergency powers, brother. We all know for two years, over two years, um, we're talking about we got to limit his powers. And like I said, last year, uh, Jim Walsh ran a bill and others tried to propose things that was shot down. What even wasn't even heard. And now that you have Democrats in the same party actually running bills to, in some cases, limit it. And I have a question for you, brother. 
You know, I know they said that, that because people are emailing, I believe that too, and the pressure is coming and it's an election year. But is it really because the Republicans are having that much influence or is it because uh, they're doing this because it is an election year? You know, so they'll look good, say, hey, we did something because now they're on the hook now for this election cycle. People are upset with the Democrats. They're upset. Yeah, and, and Washington State is actually polling at an R plus seven statewide. So even in deep, deep uh, Democrat areas, there's a lot of unrest. And obviously they got to fix that. The crime is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, but the emergency, the state of emergency, we're yes. done. I mean, yes. we're done. If Bill Maher's done, I think most people are done. But one of the radical left, which is Jesse's opponent this year, my, my former opponent in the 26 as well, ran the, one of the first bills to limit Governor Inslee's powers. But the way it was, the way it's written, it only does very minor things. But yeah. it shows that she's doing, quote, unquote, Win- window, window dressing. Exactly right. And, of course, these Zoom things, as citizens, we've got to, as Jim said, make sure these elections count. But Zooms don't count. People can do things behind a, a computer screen that they would never do in person. There's yeah. a decorum. There's a, a debate, as Jim was saying, that we've got to get back to be persistent. And I just, I love that interview. I love their passion. I love their their op, op, the, um, optimism yeah. for this year. But really, you know, the, we remind our listeners, the majority in the state of Washington, it doesn't work that way everywhere, but in the state of Washington, you have a one-person majority in the House and Senate, and, and the majority runs everything. When you have meetings, when you vote, what gets voted on, who are the, the committee chairs? So uh, we've got to get the House and the Senate back, and then, uh, of course, replace the governor. So Yeah, got any yep. good ideas on the governor? Anybody but him? Anybody but Inslee? Uh, you're listening to Doug and Marty versus the world. My name is Doug Bassler, my co-host, Marty McClendon. And uh, we're just going over some some interviews from the Roanoke Conference, which was held at Ocean Shores last weekend. I have an interview with Simon Sessig, Marty. He is the youngest state senator, 22 years old, just appointed to the seat uh, that uh, the late Doug Erickson vacated. And uh, so we miss Doug. But uh, interesting what this young man had to say. So let's hear it from Simon. Hey everybody, Roanoke 2022 here in Ocean Shores, Washington. Unbelievable, we actually have had sunshine all weekend. Speaking of sunshine, I just ran into Simon Sessick. He's one of our newest state senators here in Washington State. And uh, Simon, uh, congratulations on your appointment. That's amazing. The, the session's in full swing. You're, you're in the, you basically, what is it, like baptism of fire, right? It's like drinking from a fire hose. That's exactly right. And so um, what, are you, what are you seeing? How, how are you feeling about this? Um, and I, really one of the things I, I kind of wanted to touch on is just like, hey, you've never done this before. You're there. Um, you can do it, right? People can do this. People can run for office. People can get involved. Uh, so just let's just talk about the session. How's it going over there? Well, you know, Doug, it's been zero to 100 miles per hour really fast. Uh, you know, we're staying busy, and it has just been a whirlwind of meeting people but getting straight to work, uh, you know, working for the people of the 42nd District. So, you know, like you mentioned earlier, that's exactly right. The goal here is to show that 
anybody can get involved, anybody can make a difference here. And what we need in the Republican Party especially is a voice for the future generation. You know, we need young people to be involved, to advocate for some of these generational issues. It's going to be my generation that will be the largest taxpayer base, my generation that will be the largest voting base. And the decisions being made today in Olympia, the decisions being made in Washington, D.C. right now are going to affect my generation in many ways more than they're going to affect yours. Well, yeah, hopefully you're going to be around for a long time. Um, what what prompted you to get involved? I mean, uh, you're a fairly young fella, early 20s, right? Yes, that's right. I'm 22 years old. Okay, and uh, love 22 and 22. That means you were born in 2000 or 1999? 1999, but only by 10 days. Awesome. And so um, what prompted you to get involved in this entire uh, political process? Well, you know, I grew up uh, in Whatcom County, knocking doors and falling in love with the place, being involved with some local policy issues. Um, I went over to the East Coast to study American government. I worked at the White House and I worked on Capitol Hill for a time. And so that really sparked an interest in the legislative process. But ultimately, it's been talking to people in the district, hearing about their their fears, their concerns, their hopes and their dreams that really made me say that we need somebody to represent them. We need somebody to help, for example, those that are suffering from flooding and the aftermath of the flooding up in Whatcom County right now. We need representation and we need good, strong leadership in Olympia. And so you thought, hey, why not me? <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I pitched I pitched myself and at first there were some people that were saying, what is a 22 year old doing here? And I don't blame people for having that guess. But, you know, the pitch that I've made to people is I don't want anybody to consider supporting me because I'm young. My request is that you not discount me because I'm young, that instead you judge me by the same metrics you judge anybody else, by the quality of my ideas, by the content of my character. You know, I think it's amazing that, uh, first of all, that you made it, you selected, you tried and you won. And also that we need perspective from all uh, parts of society, right? We need young, uh, old, male, female, all the different things, and not not because of uh, some, you know, diversity inclusion thing, but because it's it's important, right? We, we as a senator, you want to represent all of society. Well, uh, that's right, Doug, and it's particularly relevant, you know, to a lot of the, the policy issues we're discussing now. You know, I'm on the housing affordability commission committee in Olympia and housing affordability is something that for younger people is very difficult. We want to live in Washington state, but it's harder and harder each day to find a job. It's harder and harder to be able to gain equity from actually owning land. And so these sort of issues are particularly salient for young people and those in my generation. It's awesome. So um, what are your, uh, what's your big uh, concerns or what do you, what are you wanting to see out of this session? Obviously the session's going into March. Yeah, so, you know, obviously it's a shorter session and we have a lot to accomplish in the meantime. What, what I'm working on right now, number one, is getting financial relief to the victims of the flooding up in Whatcom County. I've already been in contact with federal and state agencies about getting, you know, caseworkers up there to help those that are affected. But in addition to that, you know, one, one of the key things we're working on is scaling back a lot of these police reform laws that have been passed in the past few years that are just detrimental to the ability of our law enforcement to do their job. So we're focusing on police reform, we're focusing on economic and tax reform, and we're focused on ultimately returning transparency and accountability back to the governor's office and back to the legislature. Excellent. So uh, any words of wisdom for uh, people that might want to get involved in politics, either running for office or helping out on campaigns, that type of thing? Sure. The, the thing that I would just say is 
I understand the skepticism. I understand the feeling that a lot of people have in my generation, which is that it's not worth it. It's too divided. It's too partisan. Why waste the time? I understand those concerns. But the biggest way that you can make a difference is by getting involved. The biggest way that you can change the mind and heart of your neighbor is to get involved and to talk with them about policy, to run for office, and to show people that we can make a difference in this state. And if we can change this state, we can change this country. Well, Simon, thank you. Congratulations again. Our youngest, you, newest senator. Uh, God bless, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, uh, Simon Sessick, 22-year-old. Wow, right? Uh, well-spoken young gentleman. Um, I know his mom really well. She ran for the state house a few years ago. She's a realtor. Very well-spoken, hardworking. She came very, very close in 2018, I think it was, or 20, yeah, 2018 or 2020. 2020. Um, so I was surprised when her son got appointed to this, but as we know, when, when Senator Erickson passed away, um, they appointed uh, the next one. The local PCOs actually pick three candidates and they go before the council and the county council can pick who they choose. So as well-spoken as Simon was, I can see why they picked him. Uh, he's, he's, he's got a good perspective. He's well-spoken. He, you can tell he's been coached well. But the way these work, you remember Phil Fortnato got appointed to his position in Senate as well. If you're appointed this year, which he has, he's got to run this November to, to win the election, to serve out the remaining term of uh, Doug Erickson, and then run again when the normal term is up. So he'll be running quite a bit to maintain it. The great news for our listeners, though, is 98% of the time in Washington State, now I know there's going to be a different wave this year, but the incumbent wins. So running as the incumbent gives you an advantage. And so a young man who will work hard, has his mom's um, name ID as well up there in Whatcom County. Um, he should do well, brother. I'm telling you. Whatcom County is tough. It's, it's a swing district we'll, up there. We'll be watching that with, uh, you know, keen interest. I'll tell you, uh, his, 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 you know, his ideas. Like, first of all, I'm representing my territory. We've had flooding. We've had problems. But also the statewide issue of police reform. We've gone too far. We've limited uh, law enforcement. And uh, and he's he's wanting to bring that back, and and his his passion to see his young the the younger generation. Uh, you know, I have a, a a daughter his age. I'm gonna see if I can get him the date. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> but um, you know, he's a good looking guy mind, too. Wouldn't yeah. mind having that guy for a son-in-law, right? At least he's on the right side of the table at you know Thanksgiving. Well, he started early working in the White House. He said working in D.C. and being 22. That means he's ambitious and a go-getter. The fact that he's, he's in the Senate, um, I know we had Melanie Stambaugh, which is the former youngest house. I don't think we've had someone this young in the Senate before. So that's a big gap for him. He may have a bright future if, if he keeps on it. But to your point too, he actually made the point that it's not about age. Don't vote for me because of my age. He mentioned his generation because I know that in our state, we have the youngest um, Republican Party chair, Caleb Heimlich, in the nation. And they make a big hoopla about being young. And then, but you want to see what he does with it. And Caleb's done a great job with the party. And Simon getting to understand, yes, he has a perspective and he's young. That, that, that will be an appeal for a lot of us like you and I that want to encourage younger people. But he's still got to see that he's advocating for people from all ages all demographics in Whatcom County, which I, I love in the 42nd district. So I think he's got a good head on his shoulder, uh, shoulders. And the fact he's going into the fire when they have the minority now and hopefully the majority next year, that's all going to bode well for him. Yeah. It's a good interview. Yeah. So good. Listen to Doug and Marty versus the world. My name's Doug Bassler.
And I'm, my name is Marty McClendon. And uh, our next interview is with uh, former state Senator Mark Malosha, head of the Family Policy Institute of Washington. Marty, nobody fights like Mark Malosha. <laughs> this guy's amazing. Let's get right in. Before this. we go, just, just before we go to the interview on this, brother, hey. this is good. I've known Mark for a while. I knew him in 2017 when we were statewide. He ran for a state auditor. I ran for Lieutenant Governor. And he was a conservative back then. But I tell you, when he when he got it out of the Senate, um, not by his choice, but he was out, you know, um, and we got to work for FPIW, he got to be himself. This guy is a passionate, conservative warrior for God, brother. I, I'm glad to call him a friend. Go ahead. Yeah, yep. me too. Here we go. Mark Melosha. Hey, everybody. Uh, Roanoke 2022, and I am with uh, Senator Mark Melosia, former senator here in Washington State. Also, I think you were a representative for a yeah, while for as well. Yeah, for the Democratic Party, believe it or not. Yeah, unbelievable uh, that good people are in that party. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Uh, but now you are the head of the Family Policy Institute of Washington. Yes, I am. FBIW.org. FBIW.org. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have been so impressed uh, with your leadership. Uh, since you've taken over, and uh, I'm a huge supporter of FPIW, but um, if you haven't gone to that website, if you haven't signed up for that email, I really want to encourage you to do that because uh, what Mark is sending out is not just uh, rants and raves, it's how you can make a difference in the world and in our society. And as Christians, we want to be salt and light. We want to make a difference, right? Exactly. We're having the great, greatest moral debates in our country's history going on right now. And it's our opportunity to spread the gospel, the truth about how we should solve these problems, how we should live as a community, and what way should we deal with folks we disagree with, all the great issues. Unfortunately, right now, Christians are not really part of the argument. And part of it's due to the mainstream media, part of it to do with kind of the... Uh, the, the way issues are framed. But for example, I was involved in a critical race theory panel let's kinda, this morning. Let's kind of look at the camera okay. a little bit more. Yes. I'm going to get the side of your face. Yes. I want to kind of, let's play yes. to that. So yes. let's just start, uh, start with the panel this morning. Yes. Uh, we, uh, we were talking critical race theory. Here's an issue that's, that's uh, engaging or we're finding out it's involved in school districts, businesses, colleges, you know, and we're finding out is folks are literally teaching racism with this whole diversity, uh, inclusion, equity um, uh, language. And so as Christians, we should come up with our solutions to racism. Do we, have, do we support Martin Luther King's Jr.'s vision about America where we judge people based not on the color of skin, but on the content of their character, where we move to quotas and affirmative action and start literally resegregating businesses and schools because whites are automatically racist or, or every black is a victim. I mean, horrible concepts. So the issue of race, you know, the Christian response should be involved. And how, and I say, go back to Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision of racism. Yeah, excellent. So um, a lot of things working their way through uh, the state legislature right now. What are your top concerns? Give me like your top three. The top threes. Well, there's uh, another, I hate to say, critical race theory bill and a socio-motive learning, but again, taking away parental rights, you know, literally uh, uh, parents and, and, and basically other partners for the school districts, literally raising your child. 
There's a bill involving, you know, mandating for hospitals that merge that they have to provide assisted suicide, abortion services, even gender or hormonal treatment, all uh, into all hospitals. Again, it's an intervention in the way hospitals are run. Uh, a third bill, there's another bill, it's probably one of the most scariest bills out there, involves uh, redefining what uh, infertility. Now you're infertility, you're automatically infertile, and so your health plan can cover, and this is for anybody, adults and children, now will cover hormone tra uh, embryo transplants, in vitro fertilization, even surrogacy. So your 13-year-old daughter could literally order a surrogate baby using your health insurance plan and pay for it horrible bill that's going on. And so those are some of the things happening uh, there and we need to oppose it. There's one other bill, assisted suicide. A bill would actually mandate uh, or ease, uh, uh, lower the standards about who can commit suicide. Um, and so it goes from 14 days, kind of a grace period, a cooling down period, to down to three. So uh, another bill, uh, again, opposing the, uh, what we believe is a, a culture of death. Yeah, it's shocking stuff. Now uh, let's talk about Family Policy Institute. So, right. what what would uh, what would our listeners, what would our viewers discover on your website? Well, you go to the website, you find out where the Christian Education Advocacy Organization, uh, the only one, frankly, in Washington State, advocating for the issues of life and family and marriage parental rights, religious freedom, and Christian justice. You know, how do we have a good homeless system, a good drug treatment system, or how should the police operate? We see the radical lefts at this, especially in Seattle, come up with these crazy ideas, but there is a Christian response to all these, and it, and it focuses on responsibility and virtue, and moving and integrating people back into society rather than pushing them into vices and drugs and permanently permanently positions of literally self-harm or, or destruction. Yeah, so good. And uh, are you still in training, showing people how to in, be involved with the, the state legislature with Ab their different... Absolutely. We're, we, we are involved, set up Olympia, what we call Olympia 101 trainings all across the state, teaching people how to um, work with your legislature, how to be involved with the political process, how to learn about the issues. And we're helping church unify the different churches and activists out there, how to make their voice heard in the public square. Have you noticed that it seems uh, to me that most of the people that are actually making a difference are Christians? Yes. Uh, um, I'll give you an example. I, I asked uh, folks, uh, how many people here are, are Christian when, in the critical race theory panel that I was on? And literally three quarters of the room raised their panel, raised their hand. Is that, that encouraging to you? Oh, very encouraging. So they're already involved. Now the question is, how do we make them better? Because frankly, I don't want the Republican Party go the way of the conservative party in Canada or in Europe, where it just becomes a Democrat light. You know, um, and, and you see that this drift, unless you hold firm to some value set, you're going to drift. And of course, you just look at Seattle, they're drift pretty far to the left. Yeah. And so uh, FPIW.org, uh, Family Policy Institute of Washington, and uh, Mark Melosha is the head of that organization right now. And I'll tell you what, uh, this is something that I want all of our listeners, all of our viewers to get involved with. Uh, knowledge is power, but you know what? Applied knowledge is real power. And so they're going to teach you how to how to be an activist, how to, how to get your legislators' attention and things like that. And Mark's not coming at this from an ivory tower. He's been a, a, he's been a House member. He's been a senator. He knows how the system works. And so just uh, God bless you, Mark. Thank you for thank what you're you doing. Thank you, and thank you for what you're doing. All right. Thank yeah. you, brother. God bless. Great interview with uh, Mark. He's always a, uh, an amazing 
guy and uh, FPIW.org. I just, uh, I, I have you seen that too, Marty? Uh, it's the it's like the people that are making difference right now. They're they're Christians. They are. Uh, it seems like the courage we've been talking about for several years now. Uh, Christians are stepping out and saying, no, we must make it. I, I, like they're praying, they're obeying, they're getting engaged. They're willing to engage the battle. The record number of people have pulled their kids out of school are homeschooling now for the first time ever in the state of Washington. I've talked to uh, Heidi St. John down south. There's been many people seeing the numbers drift. I mean, num- the financial issues in schools will be an issue next session as well because the school districts will come back and say, hey, so many kids are leaving. We're, we need more money. And so that was, should be interesting on, on that. Trying to get money for empty seats is what I heard. Exactly right. So Mark Melosha talked about, I, I love when he said ideas. I, 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 something I would say, ideas. Um, but when he was talking about this assisted suicide, the, the Oregon's had that for several years now. Uh, it's a matter of when you have a majority in power that pushes these radical ideas, this is what you get. You get um, critical race theory. You get uh, uh, comprehensive sex education where we party normalize. Of death, party of racism. Party, party of, of the same. Yeah. Exactly right. Uh, where the parents have no rights. So the FPIW uh, and what they're doing is, is educating, informing, and mobilizing um, Christians and people to fight back and make sure parents maintain their rights. And there's a movement now, but they are a great resource, yeah, a great leader there as well. Um, but I want to bring up something. This this reminded me um, that one of the bills the Democrats are running th- this session that, that voted along party lines in the House, um, Michelle Caldier actually tried to propose an amendment. I mean, Michelle Caldier is, is not pro-life. She's pro-choice. She's she's not a conservative, if you will. Um, but she, there's, there's a bill where they wanted to say, change the wording. So anybody that was pregnant in the Washington state would no longer be called a birth mother or birthing mother. They would be called a birthing person um, because they're trying to push this whole uh, wrong idea that men can be pregnant. And they were using the basis of a, a, a woman who is transitioning to become a male. She's taking hormones to become a male, but she wanted to have a baby first. So she stopped taking her hormones, got pregnant, delivered the baby, and then finished her transition. So they were saying that, that she should be called a birthing person, not a mother. And Michelle was, saying, was trying to amend that to say, look, it, women like herself who are mothers um, would prefer to be called mothers and, and to allow that to happen for those that choose to. And they, uh, along Democrat lines, voted completely not to accept the amendment. You know, because, yeah. because that's unfair to the LGBTQ and trans community. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Think about that. I mean, I mean, I'm not calling them crazy, but. That's the world we're living in right now. That's why the work that it, it reminds me of that news story that just came over the wire here a few minutes ago from the Babylon Bee, where uh, Justin Trudeau, the uh, Prime Minister of Canada, it, thinks the truckers are only mad at him because he's black. So, um, <laughs> of course, the Babylon Bee is it? It's sar- satire, sarcasm, yeah. but he's satire, the one that yeah. was around a blackface, and but they get yes, away it with it. I want to yep. move from the state uh, level to the to the local level because these local level things matter. I was able to interview Peter Kwan, he's city council member in SeaTac. Uh, and of course, SeaTac's had their, their, their battles as well, but, but Peter's a great guy. And uh, you know, it's not all just happening at the state or the federal level. It's happening in your city council. It's happening in your town too. So let's, uh, let's listen in to Peter Kwan. Hey everybody. Welcome back. Roanoke 2022. And uh, I am so happy to have Peter Kwan. Peter Kwan is a city councilman at SeaTac and um, and just a good friend and a, and a and a good guy. And so um, 
Roanoke, always fun, always a good place to come. And, uh, you know, there's, there's so much going on right now. Um, what, do you, what do you see as our, like our biggest opportunities going forward into 2022, 2023? Um, well, obviously, uh, hopefully, going forward, we will be able to meet in person more, just like we are here at Roanoke. Um, the virtual format, although it is uh, a little more convenient, it it kind of like lacks in the the personal you know interaction and connection yeah. that you get in person, and so that's one of the biggest um, opportunities I think uh, we can look forward to in 2022. With that also comes uh, hopefully better engagement, um, better uh, organizing, you know, better collaboration, and all of that that comes with it. Uh, which I think kind of hurt us uh, quite a bit over the last two years with the shutdown and all that. Yeah, I mean, a two-year emergency uh, order is it's way too long, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. And um, that also reflected in um, part of the uh, various campaigns that occurred that, that I've seen because, you know, people were just not even answering their doors. You know, I like knocking on doors, right, and talking to people in person. Yeah. And uh, people were just, uh, a lot of folks were just not even answering their doors or um, just, you know, uh, uh, not just not answering, but they would see someone there, but, but they wouldn't even come to open the door or anything like that. So it, I think it made campaigning a lot harder. It, also, it made it difficult for things like, you know, fundraising events and whatnot. You know, yeah, the virtual stuff is, is cool, but um, it, it just, you it's can't beat the, the in-person stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to talk about a little bit about what's happened uh, in SeaTac over the last, since 2015. Um, you guys were able to basically not raise taxes. Mm -hmm. You were able to um, actually get a surplus in the bank of over $150 million, is that right? Yep, yep. So uh, what happened was uh, to um, go back quite a bit to 2016, when, we first, when I first got in in 2016, January, we started the year off with about a negative two and a half million deficit. And we were able to kind of break even within the first three months or so. And then um, we came out positive about, you know, four or five months afterwards. And um, all of this, while all of, the, all of this was happening, we actually not just not increased taxes, we actually decreased taxes, which is unheard of. So the utility tax, which was very unpopular, was repealed. And um, uh, we also uh, restructured permitting fees and um, things like rental fees and stuff like that to more accurately reflect what it actually cost. And so obviously we weren't looking to make a profit or anything, but we wanted to break even, right? And so as a result, uh, a lot of the smaller permitting fees for things like, you know, um, a home remodel or whatever, or adding an, an extra bedroom to your house, those fees actually went down. So for the average resident, um, they actually saw a total reduction in taxes. And so now, fast forward, here we are six years later, and we currently now have over $150 million surplus in the bank. Okay, but you, you just told me that you reduced taxes, okay, that you reduced user fees, and you're ahead? Yes. How is that possible? So uh, I get asked that a lot, obviously. Um, what we looked at throughout the year, and this, this is even ongoing today, right? So what we constantly look at is 
um, potential cost saving and um, trying to be more efficient with what we have, right? So for example, I bring up the printing thing because that, that's such an easy concept for most folks to understand, even me. So I, I picked that out the first um, out of anything. Um, so previously the city was contracting out with I think about five different printing companies and each one of them was charging different prices for the same job because they were working with different departments and those contracts with the with the printing companies were just ongoing in perpetuity so when we looked at why not consolidate all printing with a single company and shop around and receive bids whoever gets this contract will have a, a printing contract with the city for a minimum of two years and be guaranteed 100 percent of the business right there we got better printing better quality better service because they would deliver the same day if we ordered before like 11 a.m. They would deliver the city hall same day and uh, the cost was reduced by more than 50% right off the bat. So little things like that add up to millions and the uh, um, the real benefit is you, it's not just a one-time saving. These are savings year after year after year. So you save a million this year, you might save a million Point one next year, you might save a million point two the year after, and that all accumulates. And so, looking at all of these little contracts and and uh, um, cost savings and process improvement and efficiency and all of that stuff, uh, better managing of resources, that all added up, obviously. And so, not only did we not increase taxes but reduce taxes, the city was also able to hire more police officers. We hired seven more cops. Uh, we also were you able didn't to defund your police. No, we did not defund the police. We actually not only hired seven more cops, we hired two motorcycle cops. That very few cities have motorcycle cops these days because they cost so much money. Because uh, I didn't know that before, but a motorcycle cop is not just a, a cop and a motorcycle. It's a cop and a motorcycle and a car because they can't always ride the motorcycle like when it's snowing or whatever, right? right. So, so it actually costs more than a regular cop, and. Um, so we did that. We also um, hired uh, additional staff. We have a uh, social media specialist now that handles the city's Twitter account and Facebook account. And uh, we have our own City of SeaTac WordPress blog, which is the official source of information for the city now. And um, if you're not, uh, if you haven't checked it out, you've got to follow the City of SeaTac Twitter account. It's really, really fun. So I want to just ask you one more question, and I know you're busy and all that, but um, how important is it for the average citizen, not, not everybody lives in SeaTac, but whatever city they live in, whatever uh, governmental entity they're under, how important is it for them to stay involved and to, to see what, to be part of what's going on? I mean, it's, it's their community, right? Absolutely. It, it is so important, and I cannot stress this enough because prior to seven years ago, I personally was not involved with local government or government or politics at all. Right? I am a complete, total newcomer to this whole thing. But after I started becoming more involved, I realized that, number one, not only is it important, but number two, that actually affects your own neighborhood. You know, like, like the, the flavor of your street and your community and, you know, the improvement like sidewalks or speed bumps or whatever, right? Stop signs, traffic signals. It, it affects everything immediately in your neighborhood that affects you directly, right? And so people need to be more involved and or at least more aware of what's going on in their local government. But, but also, lastly, um, if you're not involved and you don't know what's going on or you're not very familiar with, with what's happening 
oftentimes you can get fooled by politicians that come around, which happened recently, and, and they portray a completely different um, uh, idea or image than what you, what is true. And so they kind of like, uh, you can be eas more easily persuaded to vote for people you are not familiar with, right? And so I think that is a huge loss and a disservice to the community. And the best way to overcome that is to be more involved. So good. Well, Peter, thank you so much for uh, being with My us today. Pleasure. Always a fr always a pleasure. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to uh, lots of more good stuff from you, even though you're, you still think yourself the new guy. But now you've been doing this for seven yeah. years. I'm still learning that the thing is like with, with politics, it's like no matter how much you think you already know, and I know a lot now, right? I am still surprised every day when I encounter other politicians or I encounter certain situations or even if I read the news, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that, right? That, that's really, that, that's something completely different that I've never considered before. Roanoke, by the way, I come here, it's like that happens like every minute, right? <laughs> wow, that's new, that's new. That's, there's so much going Wonderful. on. Yeah. Yeah, so good. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you more in the future. All right. We're going Oak 2022. We'll see. So um, it's not just at the state level. And I think, Marty, he was he was literally bringing up things that actually more affect your life than a lot of stuff that's happening at the state level. Now, state level stuff's important, right? Mm -hmm. And the federal stuff's mm -hmm. important. But he's talking about real tax savings at the at the it, in your tax bill to your house mm -hmm. I, I, i'm like i want to move to SeaTac, right because it's like they didn't raise taxes in six years yeah amazing to me to think about because from the federal level they set the playing field for the states in a sense for some of the legislation they said all right states this is our kind of the top-down mandates operate within them the states pass state laws that that does the same thing under those sort of guidance, they give guidance to the counties and the counties pass laws in the counties that work underneath the uh, the state and federal laws and then to give the local jurisdictions sort of guidance. And then people like Peter Kwan who work on the city council have to take all those sort of uh, guidelines, the boundaries and find a way to serve their community within those guidelines in the best way possible. And I'm, I, my, it takes grit. It takes determination. It takes uh, smart. I know that Stan Fleming, former uh, county council in uh, Tacoma and Pierce County, uh, said that they were these mandates on these uh, in, on the shoreline management and the growth management act was really putting a lot of restrictions on them. But they were able to to go within the guidelines and do average setbacks. So in areas where there was just no way they could build, they did uh, like 300 foot setbacks. So places where they could build, they could do 50 foot setbacks. Things like that, or finding ideas like Peter Kwan was saying to lower taxes, lower the permit fees, where it really hits home to, to play within. It's a, it's a, like a Jenga back. They've got to do a lot of things to play within the boundaries set for them. And to be able to have a surplus of $150 million, that's really cool. Well, they, they, they're taking it as if it's their money. You know, that when you're, if you, if your idea is, well, you know, who cares? Let's spend it. We've got all this coming in. Oh, we're over. Okay. Well, let's figure out how we can raise taxes to cover the deficit rather than going back and saying, Hey, we got five printers. Why don't we, mm -hmm. why don't we just get one printer? Why don't we put this out for a bid? See if we can save some money and they save a ton of money. And then it's kind of principles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, and I'm getting ready to do some printing and I, you know, I shop three or four places. I'll just buy the uh -huh. first place. Right. You know, you got, you ever uh, shop for car parts, like, you know, a starter for your car or something. What do you do? You, you, you go to the, 
you know, the, this, this auto parts store, a auto parts store, B auto parts C, you know, and you find you know, the one that's 20 bucks cheaper than when you buy. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> is it worth driving to the store or whatever? Exactly. Right. You know, and it's funny about you talking about Peter Kwan doing it for seven years. I remember when he first ran there, you put together or a group of you did some advertising for the slate of them and tell, tell our listeners if I'm wrong, but they didn't really have, they weren't really winning. They, they didn't have much of a chance. And yet he pursued, he doorbelled, he got some help and he got in and then he did a good job. And just an average guy that was willing to get out there and run. Calls himself uh, a new guy. He's been in city council for six years. Dude, you're not the new guy. If anybody knows what's going on, it's you, brother. Very, very uh, humble man. Very, very, very good uh, you know, he, he took to it like a duck takes to water, brother. He, he, he went in there and, you know, when you compare him and Simon, a 22 year old now mm-hmm. state Senator, and then you look at the, uh, the guys like Mark Melosha who went from being a, a state rep to being a state Senator. And now he's, he's, you know, doing FPIW. This is, uh, this is truly uh, amazing that we have this caliber of people here in Washington and they're fighting for us. And this is a time when we need to fight for them. We we have to we have to step up. You know, they say there's they say there's a wave coming. It's a wave election. But you know, what the the biggest problem with that is is that people will get complacent. They'll sit back and they'll take it for granted. And we will do what we've often done: snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. Victory. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so vote. Get your talk to your neighbors. Do what they said. Do it. Do we can do this. Amen. Amen. Get them, get them registered. Let them know. Now's the time. Pray and get, in a bit. get involved. Right? I like what President Trump said in his last speech. Let's hand what? the Democrats such a crushing defeat that no amount of cheating can stop it. This is Doug Amen. Bassler. And Marty McClendon, Doug and Marty versus the world. See you next week. God bless. <laughs>